As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to The Big Football Show, a podcast from The Athletic about Big Ten football. This is Scott Docterman and I mostly cover Iowa football. And today I'm joined by Jesse Temple, our esteemed Wisconsin football beat writer. We're going to spend most of today's episode talking about the Badgers, from last season's highs and lows to what lies ahead for Wisconsin this fall. We'll also spin around the Big Ten and concentrate mostly on the Big Ten West division in this in this episode. As always, we want to thank you, our legends and listeners, for spending some time with us and adding us to your podcasting rotation. Please subscribe and rate us and review us. Five stars, just like Ari Wasserman's favorite prospects. Jesse, it's good to hear your voice and to see your face now on Zoom. How are you these days? I'm doing well, man. It's been a lot of time spent at home, but I'm looking forward to getting back out into the world. So this is a good start, I suppose, even though Zoom has kind of become the norm for the last year or so. Yeah, it has. Uh, hiding behind the TV, the uh, computer screen and talking to people that way at times it feels like uh, we all need a, a new course in social skills. Uh, at least that's how I feel when I go out in public. So uh, you've got uh, a lot of balls in the air. I mean, you've got a, a young family now. Uh, I'm sure it's been uh, it's been really challenging to kind of separate work, life, home and uh, trying to raise a, a family all at the same time. It has for sure, but there's uh, football. It's always keeping me busy. You know how it is, Scott. College football is now a 365 day a year uh, job, but I love it. So I'm ready to dive into uh, all things Badgers and, and the Big Ten West. Sounds good. And and let's uh, let's take a look at the Badgers. Tw- start out by taking a look at the Badgers' 2020 season, a four and three record. Uh, an electrifying performance by Graham Mertz in the opener. COVID shredded part of the season. Then there were losses to Northwestern and Iowa. A late season fistfight win against Minnesota. And then a bowl victory that re- resulted in a broken trophy. There's a lot to unpack there, Jesse. What's kind of your recollection of uh, the 2020 campaign? Well, I'm actually working on the Wisconsin State of the Program story, which is going to run here soon in The Athletic. And it's it's been a good refresher because... It was the most bizarre college football season I've ever seen. I think that's certainly not just about Wisconsin. It's about the sport. But the Badgers were impacted by COVID-19 as much as any program in the country. You talk about the season opener against Illinois. Magical may seem like a stretch, but but being there and watching Graham Mertz completely destroy Illinois' defense. Granted, the Illini weren't particularly good last season, Mm -hmm. but he was almost perfect. He went 20 for 21. This was his starting debut. He's a redshirt freshman, the most hyped recruit Wisconsin's ever had. He throws for 248 yards with five touchdowns and no interceptions. And really, that was a night where it felt like this is what Wisconsin football can be. The, The Badgers are a legitimate Big Ten title contender. You know, they've been right on the cusp for several years, haven't been able to get over the hump and beat Ohio State, lost to Penn State another time. But it just felt like with Mertz there, maybe they had that little extra gear, something special. And the next day, 
Mertz tests positive for COVID-19. He enters the Big Ten's 21-day return-to-play protocol. And the entire team, as it turns out, is decimated by positive COVID-19 cases. So it wasn't just Mertz. By the time he came back, it was a completely different team. Wisconsin was forced to cancel its games against Nebraska and Purdue because so many players were in quarantine. They they didn't know who they were even going to have available. And they played Michigan and still managed to beat the snot out of the Wolverines. Michigan wasn't all that good. But in that game, Wisconsin didn't have eight players from its season opening too deep. They weren't available because they were injured or in the COVID-19 protocol. And even in that game, Wisconsin lost its two best wide receivers. Kendrick Pryor and Danny Davis suffered concussions. And Danny didn't play the rest of the season. Kendrick was played one more game and then re-injured himself. So Graham never had the players around him that he was supposed to have. They were going with guys who had barely even played by the end of the season. And the offense was a complete mess. They, uh, they scored in single digits for three straight games, lost every game, Northwestern, Iowa, Indiana, they hadn't scored in single digits for three straight games since 1990, which was Barry Alvarez's first year there. So that's just the start of it. But it was just it was a complete mess of a season. And and there was never an opportunity to get into the flow for Wisconsin. Yeah, no question. Uh, you looked at what he did that Friday night opener. I remember watching it from a bar in, in Lafayette, Indiana, with a couple other reporters. And of course, we were social distance and wearing masks, except for when we were uh, tipping back and I thought oh my god what is it what do they got here <laughs> this was this was pretty incredible and uh, 20 to 21 as you mentioned 248 five TDs no picks uh, in fact he had seven touchdowns and no interceptions for through the first two games and uh, that was just an absolute clubbing of Michigan and I don't know and and at the time I thought man what a gutty effort by Wisconsin and then I thought at the same time um, I've never seen a blue blood lay down like that before, and uh, they certainly proved that through the course of the year. And then at the end, they just said, "Ah, we're gonna, we're just gonna not, not gonna play the last couple of games of the year in Michigan's case." But, but uh, as you mentioned, you know, uh, Mertz without having Davis and Pryor, and uh, you know, even Jalen Berger at times. You know, he kind of he was seemed a little more inconsistent, and that's probably to be expected when you're missing players like that, and other players are in and out. Uh, he ended up with uh, 1,238 passing yards, nine TDs, five interceptions, which actually is the same line as uh, Spencer Petras last year, but and completed 61% of his passes. What are you expecting from him in year two as the quarterback, and especially because? I think Davis and Pryor are coming back, aren't they? They are. Well, here's another thing that I didn't mention, and nobody was aware of this during the season. Funny how these things don't come out until afterward. But it wasn't publicly revealed until this offseason that Graham suffered an injury to his throwing shoulder early in the season, I believe in that game against Michigan. And Graham was asked specifically about this during spring practice, and to his credit, did not want to use it as an excuse. Basically said, there's no excuse for playing the way that I did during those three games, the, the three losses in particular. But if you, you look at what happened in those three games, all very good defenses. So I think those three teams deserve credit. But Grant threw all five of his interceptions and he lost three fumbles. Um, and so to me, when you, when you put the pieces together, it started to make sense. Not only did he really not have his primary weapons available for a lot of the season, but his accuracy waned. And at the time, it just... It didn't make a whole bunch of sense because of, like you said, what we saw in the season opener. And he wasn't very sharp against Michigan, but he got the job done. I don't know how much having COVID and, and having a layoff like that being in the 21-day return-to-play protocol affected him. But if you have an injury to your throwing shoulder, then it starts to make a lot more sense why the accuracy would, would wane. And he got a little bit better late in the season. But this is what I'll say about Graham. His maturity and leadership are are pretty special for for such a young guy. And I think quarterbacks in general, especially those who are highly recruited, have been in that spotlight for a while. He kind of got into that spotlight as a junior in high school, became one of the most well-regarded quarterbacks in the country, and was pursued by pretty much every major program. But he has that little something extra, that, that special quality that he can walk into a room and immediately command their attention and be a leader. It's a confidence. Um so that was something that really shined last season, even when he had to come out every week in, on Zoom and address why they weren't playing very well and why he wasn't playing very well. But in terms of what I expect from him this season, I expect him to make a significant leap 
first of all, he's he looked pretty darn accurate in spring practice. We had the opportunity to watch five or six practices in their entirety. And granted, mm. the quarterbacks aren't being hit. So you never fully know what will this look like or how would this play have developed if the outside linebacker could have lit up Mertz because he, ha- he was free. Um, but he made some really impressive throws. He's got the accuracy. And some of the things that he discussed that he worked on in this offseason, he went back and looked at all of his cut-ups from last season. And he realized that the speed of his drop, like sometimes he would get very sped up and he felt like his footwork wasn't where it needed to be. So those are two things that he spent a lot of time working on. And there's been a notable change here in this offseason for Wisconsin. Quarterbacks coach John Budmeyer became the offensive coordinator at Colorado State. And Paul Chris, the head coach, has taken over the role of being the quarterback's coach because Wisconsin used that last assistant coaching or one of those assistant coaching positions to bring in a cornerback's coach, which they did not have. So there's no official quarterback's coach. And Paul has really taken a holistic viewpoint of, of having the quarterbacks better understand checks at the line of scrimmage, understanding the run game, things that maybe they didn't do as in detail before. So I, I think Graham will be a smarter quarterback. He will better understand the offense. He has the, all the confidence in the world. And he's got the playmakers now. You mentioned it. Kendrick Pryor and Danny Davis opted to come back for another season because the NCAA granted players an extra year of eligibility due to what happened with the COVID-19 pandemic. And Jalen Berger has got another year under his belt. They've got four offensive linemen who have started games. So this offense should be, I think, pretty darn good. They've also got Jake Ferguson, who's an all-Big Ten tight end. Yeah, looking back, uh, you know, Jake Ferguson, to me, I thought, along with maybe Pat Fryermuth, was one of the better tight ends in the Big Ten last year, uh, or would have been if we had a normal season. Uh, Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor seemingly have been there since the last high-quality quarterback that uh, Wisconsin had, and that's uh, Russell Wilson. It does feel <laughs> that way sometimes, yeah. Pryor's a six-year senior, so Davis has, has been playing since he was a freshman, and this will be his fifth year. Right, exactly. And so it, it's kind of like uh, if we were to flip over to the other side of the sports, uh, you know, Brad Davison and Jordan Bohannon seemingly have been a, around forever, too, and uh, on the basketball court, and they're gonna both going to be coming back. But um, I want to ask you about running back, and that's always been a Wisconsin staple forever. Uh, who you know for going back to Ron Dane and even before that Michael Bennett and those guys uh, what uh, you know what do you see out of Jalen Berger how does this position compare to when Jonathan Taylor was there with Melvin Gordon and all the other greats that they've had and uh, what's the potential like for is there anybody else coming in that's got a chance to to split reps or even take over that position I'm glad you asked that question because it is the single biggest question mark about Wisconsin's entire football team. As far as I'm concerned, the one thing that could potentially hold back this offense, because it is not a quintessential Wisconsin running back group. Jalen Berger has that star potential. He came in as a true freshman last season and earned the starting role later in the season, but he only played in four games. He's only carried 60 times in his career. He never carried more than 15 times. Oddly enough, he carried exactly 15 times in all four games that he played. So if he is going to be the guy, he's going to have to shoulder a bigger load. Wisconsin has a new running backs coach, Gary Brown. He was the running backs coach, actually, for the Dallas Cowboys for seven seasons through 2019. Mm -hmm. And he compared Berger to a young DeMarco Murray. It's just in terms of the speed and elusiveness. But obviously, Berger being so young needs to get stronger. But after Jalen and... Jalen staying healthy is going to be very, very important, maybe more so this year than any year I can remember recently, just because we don't know what (laughs) Wisconsin has after that. During spring practice, there were three scholarship running backs on the roster. They were all injured. Berger got hurt, suffered a leg injury. And the other two guys, we've barely seen, if we've seen them at all. Isaac Arendo is entering his fourth year with the program. He's a converted wide receiver. Last year, he was supposed to be one of the top three running backs in the regular rotation. And he was in the opener, but then he got hurt. He's, he's dealt with a hamstring injury most of his career here, and he was dealing with it this spring. I saw one run during red zone drills where he burst through a hole, showed his speed, and then came up limping. <laughs> and we didn't see him again in 11-on-11 or any kind of teamwork. He was just out there in a uniform but not really participating. So we don't know whether he's going to be healthy. And the third scholarship running back was Julius Davis, a phenomenal high school running back in the state of Wisconsin, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy either. 
He dealt with a, a hernia injury, and last year he only carried one time in a game against Minnesota. He didn't even get in until after walk-on Brady Shipper, and he was hurt this spring too. So Wisconsin was down to Brady Shipper, who was a walk-on running back as their primary ball carrier this spring, and then he got hurt. So Wisconsin was handing the ball off to its two fullbacks and a, a running back who they just brought back onto the roster for the spring just to have enough guys. It's insane when you think about Wisconsin football. So because of that, Wisconsin has three running backs coming in um, in the 2021 recruiting class. Antoine Roberts is a running back from Tennessee, and then they have two in-state tailbacks, Jackson Aker and Loyal Crawford. And I actually talked to John Settle, who just left. Um, he was the running backs coach here. He did two stints here, was here for the last six years or so, and he went to Kentucky to be their running backs coach and co-special teams coordinator. And I was asking him whether he felt like when he recruited these three guys, were they going to switch positions? Why do, why do you have three running backs coming in? And part of the reason was it's an insurance policy because they don't know the health status of Garendo and Davis. And of the three guys coming in, he felt like uh, Antoine Roberts, the kid from Tennessee, maybe he's a little bit ahead of the other two guys. And, and just the way he was talking, it felt as though he believed Roberts could come in and, and compete for snaps right away. But I think this could be one of those years where if any of those three freshmen emerge, they could be in the rotation because Wisconsin desperately needs help. Garrett Groshek didn't come back. After last season, he opted not to use the extra year of eligibility. And Nakia Watson, who opened last season as the starter, slipped down the depth chart and transferred to Washington State. So that's where things stand at running back. It is a very unusual year for Wisconsin, and there are a lot of questions to figure out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that was the one separator that I saw last year was, you know, even in the game that I covered uh, against Iowa, if there was a running back presence in that game, I don't even think Berger was there that year, that, that game. Uh, that you know, things might have been different. I mean, Iowa had a really good defense in particular and some explosive plays on offense, but I thought that was really the difference maker. And and then also, you know, briefly, I guess, looking at the offensive line, Cole Van Lannon I thought was an underrated player. Uh, bless his heart, he came to Iowa City on his own. I don't know who somebody drove him down because of what COVID protocols or something like that. Uh, you know, so he came down the day of the game to try to block. Um, some pretty good players that didn't quite work out. But uh, do they have, a, you know, your prototypical Wisconsin lineman that's going to be not only first team all Big Ten, but potentially All-American, Outland Trophy finalist, that sort of thing? This, to me, feels like a prototypical Wisconsin offensive line. Not a surprise, I suppose. If you don't have that, why even be call yourself mm-hmm. a Wisconsin football program? Right. But Joe Rudolph, the offensive line coach, has made a couple notable changes this spring, just in terms of reshuffling guys on the line. That I think are very smart and give this team much more potential. You mentioned Cole Van Lannon is gone at left tackle. The guy that a lot of people thought would fill that role was Logan Brown. He was a five-star signee in the 2019 recruiting class. He was the first five-star signee Wisconsin had had in 12 years. Uh, He's still going to play. He's still going to be a great player down the road. But right now, Rudolph feels like he doesn't demonstrate the consistency needed to be a starter at that position. And so what Rudolph did was he moved Tyler Beach, who was their starting right tackle last year, over to left tackle for spring practice. And he moved Logan Bruss, who was their right guard, over to right tackle. Bruss had been a starting right tackle before, but he feels like those two guys are some of the most consistent offensive linemen uh, on the roster, and that's why you're putting them at tackle. And the other change that he made was he inserted Jack Nelson into a, a the first-team role at right guard. Nelson is entering his second year with the program, Uh, He was a four-star player in the 2020 class, played in the All-American Bowl in 2020. But last year, he was a a right tackle. He only played in two games and played nine snaps. It says an awful lot (laughs) that a kid that young is coming in and potentially filling a guard role. He's six foot seven, 297 pounds, so a little taller than your typical guard. But he's got flexibility. He's got versatility. He actually volunteered to play right guard during the All-American Bowl um, and played it very well. And... 24-7 24-7 sports actually elevated him to a five-star prospect because of how well he performed in practices at the All-American Bowl. So no surprise, I suppose, that there are more horses waiting <laughs> to yeah, run right. on the offensive <laughs> line. But you've got Caden Lyles coming back at center, Josh Seltzner at left guard potentially, and you've got a whole list of guys who either won't play or will be on the periphery there on the two-deep that are four- and five-star guys. To me, from a pure talent level coming out of high school, this may be as good as Wisconsin has had, I don't know, ever. That's a long time. Their 2010 and 11 teams were unbelievable. Everybody basically went to the NFL. But just on four- and five-star talent, 
this is about as good as it gets because there's a bunch of four and five star guys that I haven't even mentioned. Trey Wedig is a tackle. He could be in the two deep. Joe Tippin was a four star player. He can play anywhere along the line. And they've got three guys coming in in this class, two four-star players, J.P. Benchwell, an in-state player, and Riley Malman, an early enrollee from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And Nolan Rucci, five-star prospect from Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. whose older brother Hayden is a tight end at Wisconsin. Just an incredible uh, display of talent that they have coming in. they got the number one players from Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Minnesota coming in, and they're all offensive linemen. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, anybody who thinks that Wisconsin's down for, uh, you know, is on the the trajectory downward uh, doesn't know this program and where it's headed. I mean, uh, you know, last year was kind of a, a blip year, it seems, and uh, it looks like uh, the Badgers are going to be way back uh, up near, at, if not at the top, certainly among the, the leaders in the West and probably the favorite. I do want to flip over to the other side of the ball because I, I do think that defensively, um, maybe there wasn't an All-American or anything, but uh, you know the defense was still top 10 in so many major categories last year. And I mean, collectively, first in time of possession nationally, but second in completion percentage on defense, fifth and third down percentage, rushing yards per game in total defense, ninth in scoring defense. And, and in almost every area, really outside of turnover margin, they were among the elites in the country. Uh, I know there's a, a, a really good freshman outside linebacker. Uh, what do you see there? And do they is Isaiah Loudermilk a, a difficult replacement, or do they have somebody who could come in and, and play for him along the line of scrimmage? Well, I think defensive line is, is the biggest question coming in just because that they have the most to replace there. You mentioned Loudermilk. He's, he's gone. He's in the NFL now. Garrett Rand was the other starter at defensive end. Wisconsin, fortunately, has Matt Henningsen, who was he, he started several games before last season. He suffered an injury last season, and it was part of a three-man rotation on, at defensive end. So he's going to be their, their stalwart, their, their guy that they can lean on. And after that, there's a lot of players with talent, but maybe not a ton of experience. Isaiah Mullins is somebody who played about 100 snaps last season. It looks like he's going to elevate himself into the other starting defensive end role beyond that it's a bunch of guys who haven't played very much I think I counted there's going to be six scholarship players that are defensive ends after Henningsen and Mullins and they've played a combined total of 35 college snaps Um, I am interested to see Wisconsin has so far gotten one player out of the transfer portal and they're putting him at defensive end Isaac Townsend he spent two years at Oregon didn't play for them but I think he's got an opportunity to contribute at nose guard they've got some really good talent. Keanu Benton came in and played as a true freshman. Mm -hmm. But Wisconsin's defense is interesting because they played 68% of their defensive snaps last season in the nickel. So they rely heavily on their defensive backs. Um, They lost Eric Burrell, who's a safety, but they've got a bunch of talent returning there. Their cornerbacks, their their top two cornerbacks are back, Fayon Hicks and Cesar Williams, who came back for a sixth year. Two young guys who emerged in the spring are Alexander Smith and Dean Ingram kind of battling out to see who can be that third corner. But Wisconsin uses seven or eight cornerbacks in a game. So I think they're going to be okay there. They've got their safeties other than Burrell back with Scott Nelson and Colin Wilder. Wilder came back for a sixth year as well. And at linebacker, all four starters have returned. Noah Burks using that sixth year. He's back. You mentioned the other outside linebacker, Nick Herbig. He started all seven games last year as a true freshman, which is a very rare feat. He's a kid from Hawaii, has a lot of talent. And Jack Sanborn and Leo Chanel are the two inside linebackers. They will play a ton. They played more snaps than anybody else defensively last season. And inside linebackers coach Bob Bosted said this spring that basically he's going to play them until he feels like he can't, or at least that's what he's done in the past because they're so valuable. I think they've got more talent there. A young player to watch is Muma John Mehta. He's a third-year player. 
He probably would have gotten some more snaps last season, but he endured a crazy year. Um, he suffered a hernia injury, lifting weights. Then he contracted COVID-19. Then doctors found a heart issue with him, and they weren't sure if it was related to COVID-19 or it predated COVID-19. And ultimately, they decided that it predated COVID-19, so he was clear to come back, and he tore his groin. So he mm. went through a crazy year. Um, I just ran through a lot of players, but all that is to say that I expect this to be another top 10, top 15 defense. The one thing that they really need to figure out is creating more pressure on the quarterback. They did not get very many sacks last year. Nobody in the, the linebacker group had more than one sack. And two years ago, when they had Zach Bond and Chris Orr, they set a school record, single-season school record right. for sacks. They had 51 sacks. So they were able to get some hurries on the quarterback, but they weren't able to get as many sacks as they wanted, and that's an area that they're trying to improve. Yeah, there's been uh, – ever since the switch to the 3-4 uh, – it's amazing how Wisconsin has gone from a a very good defense to an elite level defense, and it doesn't matter who the defensive coordinator is. If now it's Jim Leonard, you know, Will, Justin Wilcox, Dave Aranda, and the, probably the most impressive part to me is just how not only tenacious the defense is, especially at the second level, I think, but also the the ability to fill gaps, even if no matter where they are. And no matter who they're going against, even if they're going against much bigger linemen, they're able to split, you know, get inside. They're able to do everything and funnel it, do play almost perfect schematically. And uh, they, they've had so many great linebackers, as you mentioned, you know, Oren Baum, T.J. Watt, Joe Schobert, Joe the Show. I'll never forget him. Uh, T.J. Edwards was really good. Um, Leon Jacobs was really good. And there's so many more I'm forgetting. But um it seems like Sanborn is probably in that category, and Herbig has a chance to get there. Um, are, how do they kind of shape up? Are they kind of the next generation of Wisconsin's great uh, linebacker heritage? Yeah, Sanborn is just classic, heart-dosed, going to be in there for all the tackles. He's led the team in tackles the last two seasons. I expect him to do it again this year. Um, and he's kind of had to develop more of a leadership role. Didn't have to say much when Chris Orr was there. Chris was one of the most talkative mm -hmm. guys I've I've seen and and the outside linebacker I think you're you're right about the 3-4. That was it's funny that was Gary Anderson's greatest gift to Wisconsin football. He came here in 2013 after Brett Bielma left for the Arkansas job and he was only here for two seasons. It was a a, a very big surprise that he he left for Oregon State, mm -hmm. but he brought in Dave Aranda and Aranda implemented this 3-4 defense and while there have been variations in different coaches who have come in that has been a staple because before then Wisconsin used a 4-3 and I think it's allowed Wisconsin to get more athletic and just find more playmakers. It's it's really been incredible because now, as you mentioned, some of those guys, Vince Beagle's another guy, players who have mm, yeah. gone on to NFL careers, that's pretty attractive selling point to high school recruits. And, and now it's become sort of a pipeline. That's one of the reasons Nick Herbig came here from all the way out in Hawaii. He understood that if you play that position, you have a chance to go to the NFL. And I believe that that is the trajectory that he's on based on what he did last season and, and his potential. They just have so many guys that they're able to bring in that maybe are tweeners that aren't big enough to play on the defensive line, but they could fit in perfectly in the 3-4 scheme at outside linebacker. One of those players is C.J. Getz. Not a name people listening unless you're a, a hardcore Badgers fan may know about, but they put him on the defensive line, and now he's a defense. Now he's an outside linebacker, and he's going to get a ton of reps. He makes a lot of big plays. Someone from your neck of the woods is T.J. Bowlers, a kid from Iowa whose dad played mm -hmm. for the Hawkeyes. Um, played defensive end in high school, but they he's 258 pounds, and they have him as an outside linebacker. He was an early enrollee, and I thought he showed great speed. He showed an ability to cover, uh, to get into the backfield. So they're able to get some of these high three- and four-star athletes and stick them at outside linebacker, and they just make plays. And if you're if you're a defender, you know why wouldn't you want to be a part of a defense like that where you're a little more free to roam uh, and make those big plays? Yeah, and I think it's a great differentiator between Wisconsin and uh, other rivals in the division. Um, I look at one one guy who I think fit perfectly for Wisconsin was uh, Andrew Van Ginkle, and uh, he was you know an Iowa kid. He, got, he originally went out to South Dakota for a year, decided yeah I could I'm better than this. Um, went to junior college, and then he had an opportunity to uh, you know I think he fit in well he would have fit in well at Iowa but when you look at the, his body and and what worked he wasn't a typical Iowa defensive ends are more in the 270 range they're more 
4-3 physical power players versus Wisconsin when you can get on the edge and you can they're almost built more like tight ends as opposed to, to physical, you know, 270 types. And and Wisconsin was really good back when it was a 4-3 with JJ Watt and um, O'Brien Schofield, although he would have been a perfect 3-4 ba- outside backer. I think he was tremendous. Uh, players like that, but I think this gives them a niche and they've taken again they're taking their defense from good to great and um no matter what happens they're they're going to be a tough out i think on that side of the ball i don't disagree i mean there's still some some questions to figure out but they have so much returning talent that's that's what's so interesting to me just to circle back to the original point about what happened last season it feels much more like a one-off rather than an indictment on (laughs) the direction of wisconsin football like I don't know how you can look at last season and think this is, for a lot of teams really, this is the product that this team is going to be. There were so many outside circumstances. And now, hopefully, if we have a more sense of normalcy in the 2021 season, you're going to see all these teams be better off for it. Yeah, and let's take a look a little bit at at Wisconsin's schedule. I mean, I really think this is uh, as as terrific of a schedule as far as uh, name recognition, profile status, as you'll get. Opening up with Penn State at home, it's got the potential for Friday night. You get Notre Dame in a neutral site, Michigan the next week at home. You know, even among those non-conference games, you get Army. You know, that's kind of a, a name opponent in the middle of the season. And then you also play, uh, the Badgers play Iowa Northwestern at home. What's kind of the view uh, from Wisconsin about the schedule and how it lines up and kind of especially kicking off the season with Penn State? You, you don't get many more high-profile matchups than that. Well, I think the first month is certainly going to say a lot about whether Wisconsin is a legitimate Big Ten title contender, because you mentioned Penn State coming off a down year, but traditionally been a very good program. Wisconsin doesn't get to play Penn State every year, but hasn't had a ton of success against the Nittany Lions. I believe the Badgers have lost the last four contests against them, haven't actually beaten Penn State since 2011. The non-conference game, it's it's one of the marquee games in college football, having the opportunity to play Notre Dame at Soldier Field in Chicago. This was supposed to be the second of two matchups. The teams were supposed to play last year at Lambeau Field in Green Bay, but of course the Big Ten canceled the non-conference season, and hopefully that game is able to be rescheduled at a later date. The added wrinkle to this one is that Jack Cohn, the former Wisconsin quarterback, transferred in the offseason to Notre Dame, and certainly seems as though he's in position to be the starter, so... What an interesting matchup that would be to see Cone with Notre Dame trying to beat Wisconsin. But even some of these other games, they, they play Michigan the next week. Wisconsin has the the more home conference games than they do on the road this year, which is a benefit for the Badgers given some of the tough mm-hmm. crossover games. But like their first true road game is against Illinois, and Brett Bielema's the coach. And Bielema, of course, yeah, spent nine right. years at Wisconsin, the first two as defensive coordinator, and then the next seven as a head coach, one of the most successful coaches that the program has had outside of Barry Alvarez, won three Big Ten championships, and Bielema trying to mold Illinois in in some of the same fashion that he did Wisconsin. And so it's just even the games that may be less interesting in in other years are more interesting now. I mean, Iowa and Northwestern beat Wisconsin last year, and, and the regular season finale is on the road against Minnesota, which is always a fun matchup. Those teams went to overtime last year. Wisconsin won that game just to get to 500 and get into a bowl game. So it's an it's an extremely intriguing schedule. And to start it off with a home game against Penn State um, really doesn't give you much time to to figure things out. Yeah, sure. Yeah, there's uh, I know Wisconsin's kind of turned a tradition into playing Friday night against, I would say, Mid-majors, probably. G5 teams. I know they went to South Florida one year. They've, they've played a lot of these types of opponents. and uh, But getting Penn State right out of the gate, as you said, is is a different animal. Because they had a similar year, maybe, to, to the Badgers, where... You know they they lost their first five, uh, and I and one of them they you know that I covered they got crushed you know by Iowa, but then they won their last four and they look they look like they're the type of team kind of like Wisconsin where I think they're going to bounce back. They've got enough talent. They didn't look great, but they looked like they had some issues. And then you know the abbreviated year, not that you throw it out completely, but I think there is an asterisk that's attached to to some of these uh, teams and in, in these seasons, but. Uh, when you look at the Big Ten West, I mean, last year was Northwestern won by, by virtue of beating Iowa by one point in Iowa City. Uh, Wisconsin was kind of in the middle. Um, but 
I kind of look at the Badgers and I think I would put them as like co-equal favorites with the Hawkeyes simply because I think they have the best rosters returning. And uh, of course, you know, with Wisconsin, <laughs> you know, if they're playing at Northwestern, that's a year where you think the, the Wildcats have a chance. But when they're going to uh, Camp Randall, that's probably not that type of year. So uh, wh- how do you classify Wisconsin when you look holistically at the Big Ten West? Is it the favorite among the favorites? Uh, where do you kind of place the Badgers this year? Well, I'm with you. Iowa and Wisconsin, to me, coming in seem like the, the two teams that you would expect to be at the top. I think I've always said I, I will pick continue to pick Wisconsin until some other team can consistently prove me otherwise. And Northwestern had an excellent year last year, but I just it was such a strange year for Wisconsin and they returned so many pieces and Northwestern doesn't return very much offensively in particular. So yeah. I just don't know what you can expect from them. I, I if I had to pick, I'm I would say Wisconsin, and I'm not just saying that because I, I cover them every day. They just have a lot of talent coming back. And then, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see what Minnesota does because 2019 was kind of the year that that was supposed to, that was what P.J. Fleck was supposed to do with that program. They were right on the cusp of just a couple weeks before the, the regular season finale, they were a college football playoff contender, and Wisconsin had to beat them in the finale just to win the West. And, and they've got a lot of guys returning, almost everybody on offense and defense, almost. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Rashad yeah. Bateman's in the NFL. But their defense wasn't very good last year. I think it was, they allowed 6.9 yards per play and Mm -hmm. 6.3 yards per rush, which is just terrible. So if they can take a step forward there, maybe they can come closer to that level. But right now, I'm of the mindset that it's it's Wisconsin and Iowa and and everybody else is is trying to catch up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at the... (laughs) At the Gophers, I mean, everybody ran at will on them. They allowed 6.3 yards per carry. If you're going to do that, you're not even going to be competitive or um, in the uh, in any kind of a league, really. And and as you mentioned, 6.9. That was 121st in the country yards per play. Um, I, I kind of look at it as, uh, you know, I, not going specifically to Iowa, but with Northwestern, they have a tendency to capitalize on years where teams are just – not at their best. At Wisconsin, certainly the the two times that Northwestern has won the division, that, that those have been slightly down years for, for Wisconsin. They capitalized by beating Iowa in, in uh, strange circumstances, I would say. Last year, Iowa was coming off a tumultuous offseason, just a horrendous situation detailing with a, an investigation into racial bias. Iowa had a 17 to nothing lead and then lost 21 to 20. Uh, they asked their young, very young quarterback, uh, Spencer Petrus, to throw 51 times against a defense that knew every, knew Iowa's offense better than they did. Um, you know, with Pat Fitzgerald has been there 15 years, Hankowitz, who retired, the the defensive coordinator knew everything about it. Plus, I look at the at the Wildcats and I think. Greg Newsom, you know, first-round draft pick. You look at uh, Blake Gallagher and Patty Fisher uh, have been there forever. They're gone now. Um, they had they had a lot of transfers. I think a lot more than we recognize. You know, they're two of their top three running backs. Peyton Ramsey is now. I, I don't know if he's on an NFL roster or signed a free agent deal. Um, so they have a lot of turnover, which I know from years past, don't ever underestimate Northwestern. But this is kind of a year Ryan Helensky comes in at as a transfer quarterback that you just kind of go, well, they might be competitive, but I wouldn't pick them to win the division. Uh, Minnesota, as you mentioned, uh, Mo Ibrahim might be the best player in the offensive player in the division uh, here, David Bell with uh, Purdue, just a fantastic running back. And Tanner Morgan had a great year two years ago. And last year didn't look great. Um, as you mentioned, they, they have a big physical identity on offense. Uh, I think they're, capable and 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 they showed some heart last year i think you know going to they were down what 30 players and they went to lincoln and won against the the corn huskers so uh they but they do have to toughen up on defense that was a pretty pathetic year and but then there's nebraska and they're the enigma of the big 10 every year and they've kind of slumped to the point of that this is what their 10th year or, or yeah no 11th year now in the league, uh, they joined ten years ago, and I look at them and I go, "What? What are you doing? You know, I can't figure you guys out." Uh, 
you you get you attract good talent in Nebraska, but they don't really have an identity or they don't play to one. And and some games they play really hard. Uh, Iowa will be in one of them last year at, at, on Black Friday. And then they play the Illinois game where it looked like, ah, we just decided not to show up today. We were going to win. And then, of course, the the situation with Wisconsin, when Wisconsin uh, had to back out, as you know, uh, then Nebraska, you know, kind of, I don't know what they were trying to do with that, but, you know, sending out tweets saying, you know, if if it would have been reversed, would uh, would we have backed out on, on, you know, the Wisconsin? So, I don't know. What are your kind of your thoughts on the Huskers, where they stand now, and uh, where they fit into the scheme, into the Big Ten West? Well, it's interesting because our our Andy Staples, our, one of our national writers, recently wrote a story. I think it was more for just to get people talking in the offseason. I don't know, but it was uh, playing off this idea of the the European Soccer Super League, and if there were fifteen teams in a Super College Football League. Who would they be? And a lot of it had to do with brand recognition and what would get the mm-hmm. most eyeballs. And he put Nebraska in there. And to me, that was the one that made the least sense. Um, and it has to do with the success that the program had decades ago. And I think there's got to be something said for on-field results, I don't know, the last decade. Um, you know, Wisconsin has dominated Nebraska. And that's what I wrote about is that I remember you talked about the first year in 2011 it was a primetime game at Camp Randall Stadium. It was Nebraska's first Big Ten game. It was supposed to be this big coming-out opportunity, nationally ranked teams. This is why we joined the Big Ten, and Russell Wilson and Mane Ball and company just destroyed Nebraska, and it's kind of been that way ever since. Uh, the Cornhuskers mm-hmm. won a regular season matchup the next year in Lincoln, haven't beaten Wisconsin since, and there have been some notable blowouts. Um, so for me up here, it's I mean that that's my perspective because those are all the games that I've seen where – Melvin Gordon runs for 408 yards in three quarters, yeah. and goodness knows what would have happened if he would have been able to play the fourth quarter. Maybe he would have gotten a number that nobody could have touched. Um, right. Jonathan Taylor in three years just dominated them too. So there, we, we've heard a lot about you know a resurgence under Scott Frost, and maybe this could be the year, and I'm sort of the, I'll believe it when I see it. They do get a lot of talent. I mean, traditionally, the the, the level of recruits that they bring in, it's at a higher caliber than Wisconsin, but for whatever reason, it hasn't translated to wins. And that's a team that's got a lot to figure out. They've got a lot of defensive players returning, but there there's some, some questions on offense, especially at running back. I mean, one of the guys that Nebraska was able to get was USC transfer Marquis Stepp, which is a player that Wisconsin was also trying to get. As, as I mentioned, the Badgers need a running back uh, to bring in or potentially. So, um I'm interested to see what happens with them, but it's kind of been the same old story with Nebraska, and until they actually go out and do it, that's my opinion. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. I don't, I don't disagree at all. I, I think, you know, being in Iowa, you, you there is a lot of Nebraska banter. Uh, not a lot of love for, from either side of the Missouri River, even though we're way closer to, to Wisconsin in proximity than we are to Lincoln in Iowa City. Um, I, I think the constant attrition is is problematic for me. I mean, when you when you sell Wandale Robinson as a terrific uh, Swiss Army knife and then he's gone, and then, and J D Spielman was a really good receiver and then he leaves uh, for TCU a couple of years ago and quarterbacks Luke McCaffrey, oh he's the second coming. Well, he's gone too. It just kind of to me says, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? Uh, a lot of the discussion I have because. 
yeah, Wisconsin's won, what, seven or eight in a row against Nebraska. Iowa's won six in a row against Nebraska in like seven out of eight. Is You're going to have to match up with those two teams along the line of scrimmage. It doesn't mean you have to have the same style of offense or even defense, but you're just going to have to match up. And I don't see that out of Nebraska game in and game out. And they've got a really challenging um, opening slate. Uh, you know, they do go to Illinois for Bielema's opener on week zero, which I'm glad there's a week zero game so we can actually watch football a week earlier. But, um, you know, they have a, a game against Buffalo. Then they go to Oklahoma, then Michigan State. And then they close the year with Ohio State at Wisconsin and then Iowa on Black Friday. I mean, so getting to six and six will be challenging, especially because they've, you know, struggled against a, a Northwestern or a Minnesota, you know, even Purdue. Um, the other teams, you know, Purdue might have the two most explosive players on each side of the ball, but I'm not, I don't know what to think yet of what Jeff Brom has done. And that's David Bell, um, at wide receiver. He's tremendous. And George Karloftis at defensive end, you know, he's from, you know, West Lafayette, a five-star stayed home, uh, really great pass rusher, probably the best one Purdue certainly has had since, uh, Ryan Kerrigan, but, Outside of being able to beat Iowa three out of the last four years, um, you know, you start to wonder. You know, is Jeff Brom, you know, going to wear out his welcome if they can't get to a bowl game? If they can't get past a six and six? I mean, is six and six um, tolerable for them as a program, or is that something that hey, uh, we're paying you five million bucks a year, you might need to to get close to winning a Big Ten West title here pretty soon? So. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on the on the Boilermakers. You didn't get to see them play last year because that game got canceled, and then then finally uh, Bielema returns to the to his favorite part of the country, and uh, we'll we'll see a help. Both of us will see a healthy dose of him, and and uh, there's a lot of uh, love and anti love for him at, at our two spots. <laughs> yeah, I mean personally, I'm more interested to see what happens with Illinois just because it didn't work out during the Levy Smith era. Mm-hmm. Basically, the signature moment was Illinois upsetting Wisconsin on a last-second field goal, which was shocking to say the least. Yes. And kind of it got Levy Smith a contract extension, I think. Um, I don't know, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if six and six is enough with the, the amount of money that coaches make. You know, you you engender some good feelings when you go to a bowl game, but at a certain point, you've got to be better than just average. Um, you know, that can be tough to do, but the Big Ten West is. It feels more wide open year to year than, say, the Big Ten East when Ohio State is going to be competing for a playoff spot every year. So it feels doable. But um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I'm, I'm, I want to know whether Illinois looks like, you know, a, a, a mini version of Wisconsin or what, what types of changes Bielmo will make. My guess is what he tries to do is slow it down. Try to play himself into competitive games, physical games to where punting matters, uh, field goals matter. Maybe they don't have the talent to pull it off, but they don't get embarrassed and they, they play physical. And, and yeah, as you mentioned, <laughs> you know, that, that game against Wisconsin where they had that upset, I remember it vividly because uh, at uh, Kinnick, uh, I think I was in the, the media room waiting for interviews and we're all like huddled around on our phones watching it uh, you know the last couple of seconds of that game and we're like holy you know whatever it's <laughs> just because nobody believed it was actually happening so um, so yeah I think the west is is fairly open I do think that you know I when people say that though I, I also think that they're kind of misunderstanding how challenging it is to get past Wisconsin and to get past you know specifically Wisconsin because when you look at the Big Ten East, if you take out Ohio State, there's not a whole lot of separation there. In fact, the floor, I would say, has been lower over the years in the in the East than in the West. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think you also look at uh, Ohio State as kind of in a league of its own at, at times. And it's proven that with, with, what, five out of the last seven Big Ten titles. But uh, to, to kind of wrap this up, uh, a pretty big retirement is taking place not only in the Big Ten but in college football and college football history frankly I think Barry Alvarez was is one of the signature figures in Big Ten football history over the last 30 years for sure and uh, you know his fingerprints are along are on a lot of programs I mean one of the things he did uh, you know even before his days at Wisconsin was 
he had the the joy of being on call in 1981 and happened to go pick up Kirk Ferentz at the airport in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, to bring him in for his interview. And Kirk was only 25 years old, and uh, and then of course, you know, went. He was a very good coach at Iowa, Notre Dame defensive coordinator, and then had one of the great turnarounds in in Big Ten history at, at Wisconsin. That that and his fingerprints are still all over that program. So. Uh, Everybody knew this was going to come. I mean, Barry's not going to live forever. I don't think he might. But uh, what what's kind of your view of uh, the Barry Alvarez era and what he's accomplished and what happens next for the for the program? Well, I don't think it's a stretch to say he's the single most most important figure in the athletics program in in history, uh, just because of what he was able to do and and where Wisconsin was when he got here. Um, for anybody younger than you know. 30 years old, they've all they've known is success. And there's a, another generation where the mere thought of being good enough to go to a bowl game would have seemed like a major triumph. The, the three years before Barry Alvarez got here was the Don Morton era. And that during that era, Wisconsin went six and 27 overall, three and 21 in the Big Ten. He implemented something called the Veer offense, which was an option heavy system. <laughs> that led to 111 fumbles. And the football team was so bad that nobody went to the game. There's a kind of some, you know, there's a lot of famous stories that have come out from that era. But the last game of the Morton era, I believe, was a 1989 home game against Michigan State. And the joke was that like you could you could see every spot in the bleachers. Whatever the announced attendance was, it was probably like 10,000 people were actually there. And people would come so they could see the band. That's how terrible the football program was. More people would show up so they could watch the band. Like, they would sneak in late in the game, and the football was just something that happened you had to get through to get to the band. So the other problem was that the athletics department was $2.1 million in debt. In debt. So that's, like, almost unheard of now. <laughs> um, so Barry yeah. got there and, and had the famous line at his introductory press conference about you better get your season tickets now because before long you won't be able to. Some people thought he was insane. But he had that that confidence and, and that cockiness and – the understanding of how to get it done. And, you know, the rest is sort of history. Most people listening probably know, but by year four, they won the Rose Bowl and they've really been a consistent Big Ten program ever since. And now the, the class of the Big Ten West, and he's been the athletic director since since 04, spent the last couple years of his coaching tenure as the athletics director. And he just, he had a vision for this place and not many people would have been able to get it done. I remember talking to Dan McCarney, who of course also has ties to the state of Iowa. And... He had a. He was one of the first hires that Barry made. Was a defensive coordinator here during Barry, Barry's first few years, and Barry told him like his first day on the job that my goal here is to um, go to bowl games, go to Rose Bowls, and eventually become the athletics director here. That was his first day on the job. Uh, so to have that foresight and to make it come true is pretty special. So that's that's his legacy. That clearly he's left Wisconsin in a much better place than where it was, and who knows what this place would have looked like if Barry Alvarez had not been hired. You know, Barry is, he's a, he's one of the guys where when he walks in the room, you know, he's there. And if you don't know he's there, he's going to let you know he's there. He's just kind of got that aura and that presence and that persona that, that does carry. Um, and he's without question what he's done on the football field and, and winning three Rose Bowls, as you mentioned, 1990. It's only 30 years ago, and for a lot of people, that's their whole lifetime. But, um, but back then, both football and basketball was dreadful at, at Wisconsin, and then kind of the combination of him and Dick Bennett to an extent, but certainly Bo Ryan turned Wisconsin around from from being kind of the, a, a doormat, a Big Ten doormat in both major sports, to being one of the most successful programs in both. And and it's uh, it really says a lot about him. I think he's one of the change agents in Big Ten history that you can kind of mark different people. I mean, I, I think you go back to, to Woody Hayes, to Bo Schembechler. I think Hayden Fry was that way. Certainly Barry Alvarez, Jim Tressel, Urban Meyer, of course. I mean, we're true change agents. And, and I think uh, his imprint on the sport, on the uh, Big Ten, is... is unmatched in some ways i mean he was a he was a 
you know, the first, one of the first members of the college football playoff selection committee. I guess now he's going to also have a role kind of as a liaison with the, the Big Ten office and, and the football coaches, which is great. He needs to be that guy. He's, he's perfect for that role. Um, so what about replacing him? Is, you know, the, Chris McIntosh is a guy that seemingly they've groomed to be in that position, but I'm, I'm sure they're looking around. What's kind of the timetable now on finding a replacement for him as athletics director? Well, we had an opportunity to talk via Zoom with Rebecca Blank, who is the, the Wisconsin chancellor, and she's ultimately going to be the one who makes the hire. And there's a, a committee of people made up of uh, Paul Christ is on there. Orlando Tucker is on there. Um, former basketball star, was an assistant coach mm-hmm. recently with the, the basketball program. And they're, they want to make this hire over the next few months. That would be ideal. But this is such an important decision that they're not going to rush it. They're going to take their time on it. And if that means there's a, a time period where the school year starts and someone's not in place, I suppose that's feasible too. But and they, they've got a few months here where we're in the, the kind of slow part of the college sports year. But Blank made it clear that it's it's going to be a national search. And you're right about Chris McIntosh. He is the, the guy that Alvarez you know, wants that's, that's why he, he brought him in to kind of learn the ins and outs. He's a former Wisconsin offensive lineman, but just because that's who Alvarez wants doesn't necessarily mean that's who blank is going to hire. I certainly think it would be important. Whoever is hired that they have a, an understanding like any hire, but especially I think at a place like Wisconsin, which is, is sort of unique. Um, you know, it's the only school that plays FBS football in the state. Um, there's a lot of value placed on you know what happens inside the state, and if they could find somebody who has ties to the program or just understands uh, what the expectations are here, then then that would say a lot. So it's going to take some time. It's going to be a national search, and hopefully in the next couple months they announce whoever it's going to be. What's kind of the uh, the local reaction to this? Because uh, some places always look at the past or ties. Um, I know we get discussed, we discuss every year, okay, if Kirk Ferentz retires, who's going to replace him? And it's always seemingly somebody, uh, the discussion swings towards somebody who has Iowa ties. That's, I don't think going to be the case, but it might be. Is that locally, is that kind of the, the, the focus that, Hey, we'd like to have somebody who knows the program, who's been intimately involved or is that not as important to fans and and what have you i think it would provide some comfort and i think if you just look at some of the major hires that have transpired at wisconsin in athletics the people have had ties to wisconsin and i think that means something um obviously um, you you look at the football and the basketball coaches right paul christ wisconsin native played at wisconsin was an assistant coach at wisconsin now he's the head coach has a unique understanding a lot of the assistant coaches went to Wisconsin too. Greg Gard, head basketball coach from Wisconsin, a Bo Ryan disciple, an assistant coach for many, many years under Ryan, many of which were at Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. You know, now he's the head coach. And so, you know, there's no definitive answer on this is how it must be done. But I think there is a level of comfort probably with the fan base if you have somebody who has an intimate knowledge. Chris McIntosh is somebody like that. You know, Sean Frazier is the athletics director at Northern Illinois, is somebody who as ties to Wisconsin. Um, So I don't know who it's ultimately going to be, but I I think, you know, fans, fans ultimately want someone to come in and help this athletics program stay at a high level. And so if that means bringing somebody who doesn't have ties, but can get the job done, then they'll be happy. But, you know, there's a lot at stake here because of the level that Wisconsin has gotten to. And if there is any kind of drop off, then that could be catastrophic to the athletics department. Sure, absolutely, and and as long as Paul Christ is there, and and probably Greg Gard too, there's probably going to be. It's going to seem like almost seamless, but then there's going to be a, a scandal. There's going to be an issue that pops up from time to time, and how the athletic director handles that is is going to be critical. It could be something. In the grand scheme of things, small, you know, I think back to the Jared Utoff situation with, with Bo Ryan. Uh, but for a couple of days, that was the biggest story in the country to, uh, you know, some of the other uh, issues that are much, much, much larger and in the pandemic and what have you. But I think it's all it's all going to be on that purview. And, and Barry's handled it all so well. 
um, over the years in both roles. And I think he's, uh, again, kind of a, if any, if any, uh, sports figure deserves a statue outside Camp Randall stadium, it's him. Um, you know, and, and maybe Ron Dane too, but I, I, I always think back at the postcard of Ron Dane with him and the, and the great Dane dog. So maybe that needs to be a statue as well, uh, outside of, uh, Camp Randall Stadium. <laughs> well, Barry already but, has a statue, and so does Pat Richter, who was the previous ADU's uh, former player as well. So it's pretty good really? when you got your statue outside the stadium and you're still the athletics director. But uh, yeah, those are those are two central figures, and uh, that's why they have statues. And I suppose I should mention Donna Shalala too, since she was instrumental in bringing uh, the athletics department to where it was and bringing Barry on. Those are sort of the three people that Wisconsin fans, I think, are most thankful for in helping turn it around. You know, I, I talk about Barry, and, and rightfully so, but Pat Richter and Donna Shalala, also very instrumental. Um, but, you know, you win a lot of games, you get a statue, so that's pretty good. Right. Where is the statue located? Uh, it's right outside one of the gates to, to Camp Randall Stadium. Um, they're they're right next to each other, I, I think. Okay. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so if you get to Camp Randall and have a couple extra hours, you should uh, walk around and check it out. Well, I usually miss it because it's either in the dark or it's raining or, or whatever, whenever. I do see the, uh, the, the the marker about it being a Civil War training ground, so I always take a picture of that. But I must miss Barry on the way out, so now I, now I definitely need to do that. Uh, check out the Barry Alvarez statue, so... <laughs> Well, this has been fun. I'm glad you've uh, we were able to make time and, and have Jesse on this week. Uh, it's always informative to get the Wisconsin point of view. And uh, and as always, we want to thank you, our legends and listeners, for spending some time with us and adding us to your podcasting rotation. So please pr- subscribe, rate, and review us. For Jesse Temple, this is Scott Docterman, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>